0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to this podcast on how to discuss diabetes and eye health. Vision Initiative and the ADEA recently released an online learning module on the topic. Today, we'll be discussing eye health, the role of CDEs in eye health, and how we can help prevent and manage vision loss. I would like to introduce our guest today, Associate Professor Peter Van Wingarden, is Deputy Director of the Centre for Eye Research Australia and Associate Professor of Ophthalmology at the University of Melbourne. He is a founding Steering Committee member and Clinical Director of Keep Sight, a national program for diabetic retinopathy screening that seeks to reach every Australian with diabetes to prevent avoidable blindness. Associate Professor Van Wingarden is a Director of the Ophthalmic Research Institute of Australia and a member of the Research and Medical Committees of the Macular Disease Foundation of Australia. He is also a member of the Australian Alliance for Artificial Intelligence and Healthcare Workforce Program Committee. The learning objectives for this podcast will be firstly to understand eye conditions that affect people living with diabetes, secondly to identify the role of CDEs in eye health and prevention of vision loss. Thirdly, to understand the recommended eye screening schedule for people living with diabetes. And finally, to understand what KeepSight is and how it can help clients. So, hello, Peter. Thank you for joining us today.
1: Many thanks, Jan. I'm really delighted to be speaking with you and your audience about this topic because I'm so passionate about it.
0: Peter, we might start... um, With a fairly obvious question, I suppose, but as diabetes educators, most of us have obviously heard about diabetic retinopathy, but we might need a refresher of what that actually means, and I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about it, please.
1: Thanks, Jan. Um, well, diabetic retinopathy is the most common sight-threatening eye disease that people with diabetes face. Um, it's basically it's characterised by changes to the small blood vessels of the retina. Now, that's the delicate tissue that lines the inside of the eye, a bit like um, a layer of wallpaper. So, nerve cells in the retina detect the light entering the eye, and they convert that to a series of electrical signals, which are sent to the visual centres of the brain, and that forms vision. Um, And that nerve tissue is very dependent on a regular supply of blood. And so changes um, to those blood vessels that occur in diabetic retinopathy um, can have um, some adverse effects. And and there are two major groups of changes that occur. The first of those is blockage of the the fine blood vessels or the capillaries. Um, And that means that the retina gets starved of oxygen and nutrients Um, and that's known as ischemia. The reason why ischemia is so problematic in the retina uh, is that the retina itself has the highest energy and oxygen demands of all tissues in the body. Um, And so there's a very low tolerance for an interruption to the blood supply. So in an attempt to compensate for this, uh, the retina releases a series of growth factors, uh, chemicals that stimulate the formation of new blood vessels. And whilst that might sound like a good thing intuitively, um, unfortunately, in most cases, those blood vessels don't form in an organised way. Uh, Instead of growing within the retina and supplying that that starved tissue, they actually grow out from the surface of the retina into the vitreous, that gel-like substance that sits in front of the retina. Um, And unfortunately, the vitreous is a bit mobile. It sort of swishes about as you move your eyes. So you can imagine that if you've got these fragile blood vessels projecting into this mobile jelly, that they might be prone to breaking as the eye moves about and and then bleeding into the vitreous. And, of course, blood in front of the retina in the vitreous then blocks the light um, and and obscures the vision. So the growth of of those vessels is... um, is termed neovascularization or referred to as neovascularization or proliferative diabetic retinopathy, uh, where the term proliferative is referring to this growth of new vessels. One of the things that often accompanies these new blood vessels is the growth of fibrous tissue, scar tissue if you like, and a bit like scar tissue on your skin, As it forms, it tends to contract and this can put traction on the retina, that delicate wallpaper layer, and it can tent it away from the wall of the eye. And when that occurs, it's referred to as a tractional retinal detachment and that um, can be associated with a loss of vision. So we've spoken and probably quite in detail about the development of new blood vessels, which is harmful in diabetic retinopathy. The other major um, group of complications related to um, blood vessels in diabetic retinopathy relates to leakage from existing blood vessels. Um, So that happens because you get damage in diabetes to the delicate cells that line the blood vessels and also the wall cells of those blood vessels. Um, And when you get that occurring, there's leakage of the fluid compartments of the blood as well as proteins and lipids that normally circulate in the bloodstream. And so this fluid that's rich in proteins and fats actually accumulates in the substance of the tissue, um, and it can become troublesome when it collects in the small area in the centre of the retina known as the macula, which subserves the detailed central vision. Having clear vision really depends on having this precise Organization of the light sensitive cells in the macula, which are known as photoreceptors. So you can imagine if you've got fluid leaking from blood vessels into the macula, it can become boggy or swollen, and the light detecting cells can be forced out of their normal organized arrangement, and this leads to blurred vision. So the name for this particular form of diabetic retinopathy is macular edema.
0: Thanks for that um, brief explanation, Peter. Um, We will be covering diabetic retinopathy in particular, including its symptoms and treatment options in an upcoming podcast. So we won't go into further detail here right now. However, I am keen to know just how common diabetic retinopathy is and is it a big problem?
1: Yes, well, we know from a number of population studies that if we take a group of people with diabetes from the community, about one in every three of those people will have some degree of retinopathy. Of those, about one in 10 will have retinopathy that's site-threatening. And so when we consider about just how common diabetes in Australia is, it translates to a large number of people at risk of vision loss. And our best estimate suggests that at any time, there are about 100,000 people in Australia with sight-threatening diabetic retinopathy. And so that makes diabetes a leading cause of vision loss and blindness amongst working-aged adults. I think the the really important message for all of our listeners is that the vast majority of the vision loss and blindness that occurs with diabetes is avoidable with good blood sugar, uh, sugar control, Uh, and timely detection and treatment of retinopathy.
0: Thanks, Peter. That's a really important message. Most vision loss and blindness and diabetes is actually avoidable. Are there any other eye conditions that commonly affect people living with diabetes that CDE should be aware of?
1: Yes. uh, There are a number of um, common um, eye conditions that, that affect vision, uh, that are um, important to know about in, in addition to diabetic retinopathy. And, and they are cataract, uh, glaucoma and refractive error. So I can briefly address each of those in turn. So a cataract um, is a clouding of the lens inside the eye. Uh, and poor vision occurs because the clouding interferes with light entering the eye. So the symptoms of cataracts can include a gradual and painless um, blurring of vision and an increased sensitivity to glare, especially noticed when people are driving at night. So people living with diabetes are more likely to develop cataracts at an earlier age compared to people without diabetes. The good um, message there, though, is that cataract surgery um, is highly effective and indeed It's one of the most commonly performed surgical procedures in Australia with a really high success rate. Um, Typically, cataract surgery is done as a day procedure under a local anaesthetic. And after cataract surgery, there's a period in which people will need to take some eye drops, but after a few weeks, um, all is is pretty much back to normal, um, and most people don't require uh, glasses for distance vision anymore, um, but most do still require some reading glasses. I think an important point in in the context of diabetes is that cataract surgery can precipitate a worsening of retinopathy, so it's generally recommended to treat retinopathy prior to cataract surgery, Um, and if retinopathy does progress after cataract surgery, then treatment in the form of injections into the eye, as often as every month, may be required for an extended period, so that's an important thing to note. So moving on to glaucoma then, so glaucoma is a condition involving progressive damage to the optic nerve at the back of the eye, which can result in vision loss and blindness. The main risk factors for glaucoma are an elevated eye pressure or intraocular pressure and advancing age. The condition typically progresses very slowly and sight can be lost gradually and often it affects the peripheral vision first. Uh, And so for that reason, glaucoma is often referred to as the silent thief of sight because it can progress slowly and gradually in the background. And by the time people notice it, it might be quite advanced. Now, people living with diabetes are about twice as likely to develop glaucoma compared to people without diabetes. And one particularly aggressive form of glaucoma is known as neovascular glaucoma. And this occurs in the context of that proliferative diabetic retinopathy when those um, ischemic retina is producing um, blood vessel-forming growth factors. Those um, growth factors can actually move to the front of the eye where um, the fluid that's constantly being made in your eye is constantly drained. uh, And those blood vessels can contract in the drain and block the drainage and that can cause quite a precipitous rise in the pressure in the eye and that's a bit of an ocular emergency um, which usually requires a combination of, of laser uh, and medical treatment and sometimes even surgery. But by and large, um, glaucoma is treated using um, glaucoma eye drops which target the um, elevated eye pressure so they lower that pressure uh, and, and delay and slow the progression of the disease Um, Laser is also used uh, as are a number of surgical treatments to reduce the intraocular pressure. Um, I guess the final um, group of um, conditions that we can talk about are refractive error. So refractive error means that the shape of the eye um, does not bend light optimally, and that results in blurred vision. Um, And types of refractive error include short-sightedness or myopia, where light focuses in front of the retina or long-sightedness, which is otherwise known as hypermetropia, where the focal point for light entering the eye falls behind the retina, again causing blur. Another type of refractive error is called astigmatism, and you can think of that as a refractive error that occurs when the front surface of the eye is shaped a little bit more like a football than a soccer ball. So it's irregularly curved, and that can result in um, blurring of the light entering the eye. The final type of refractive error that we can talk about um, in this podcast is um, known as presbyopia, and that's a refractive error that happens to most of us when we reach middle age, and it's caused by this progressive stiffening of the lens uh, that, that naturally happens as we age to the point that we become unable to read without glasses. And, you know, you know presbyopia is coming on when your arms are no longer long enough to, to read, um, you know, the paper comfortably. Um, so the, how we treat refractive errors is with glasses, with contact lenses or um, with laser refractive surgery. Um, And you can achieve really good outcomes with all of those. I think one important point to note is that people with diabetes are more likely to experience troublesome dry eye after laser refractive surgery than people without diabetes. And that's largely largely due to the fact that um, diabetes can affect the nerves of the cornea uh, and this can exacerbate um, the nerve damage that inevitably occurs with surgery. So that's an important thing to think about when your clients might be considering laser surgery to the eye. I think one other thing to mention in respect to um, refractive error is that you can get temporary refractive errors in diabetes that are caused by swelling of the lens in the eye, Uh, and we see that when there are really big fluctuations in glycemic control, Um, and so that results in a period of blurred vision that resolves completely within hours.
0: Thanks for that, Peter. You highlighted the importance of regular eye checks for all people with diabetes. Can you tell us a little bit more about that, please?
1: Yes, well, we know that only about half of all Australians with diagnosed diabetes have um, eye examinations as frequently as is recommended by the National Health and Medical Research Council guidelines, and as many as one third have never had their eyes checked Um, And, you know, the key is that um, getting those eye checks means that you can pick up disease when it's optimal to treat. So if we leave it till symptoms are manifest, then often the disease is quite advanced and outcomes can be poorer. So the general recommendations are that all people living with diabetes should undergo a screening eye check for diabetic retinopathy at the time of diagnosis of diabetes, And then every two years, if no retinopathy is detected at that first exam, provided that there are no other high risk factors for diabetic retinopathy progression. So those high risk factors that we talk about um, include people who've had diabetes for a long time, and that's typically regarded as 15 years or longer, people who've had um, suboptimal glycemic control for a prolonged period, Um, people also who have suboptimal control of hypertension and hyperlipidemia, and people with other complications of diabetes such as uh, kidney disease, foot ulcers or amputations. It's also important to note that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples are also at higher risk of retinopathy. And so for people with these um, higher risk factors, Annual screening is recommended. I guess there are two other special groups that we could briefly discuss here. Uh, the first is, uh, is pregnant women. Um, pregnancy is known to be associated with an increased risk of retinopsy progression. And so the general recommendation is that pregnant women should, uh, with, with a history of diabetes, should be screened for the presence of diabetic retinopathy in the first trimester. Um, and if retinopathy is present, then they'll need to have very close follow-up during the pregnancy. In contrast, um, and this is a common uh, cause of confusion, um, women who've not had a previous history of diabetes but who developed gestational diabetes are not at risk of retinopathy during pregnancy and do not need to have their eyes checked. We do, however, know that gestational diabetes is a risk factor for future development of type 2 diabetes. And so the usual advice for monitoring the development of diabetes um, stands. And of course, if diabetes develops, then the regular eye um, screening recommendations apply. The other group... um, that's important to mention, is children with type 1 diabetes. So here there's an exception to that recommendation for an eye check at the time of diagnosis. As it's very unusual for the development of retinopathy prior to puberty in type 1 diabetes, the recommendation is that screening for diabetic retinopathy should be commenced around the time of puberty or, at the latest, by the age of 13.
0: Thanks, Pete, for that whistle-stop overview of screening for people with diagnosed Diabetic retinopathy, but what about those people who are known to have retinopathy already?
1: So, people with diagnosed retinopathy um, require more frequent review by their optometrist or ophthalmologist, and the frequency of that review will depend both on the severity of the retinopathy and whether treatment is needed. Um, so that being said, an important message for all people with diabetes is that if they experience changes in their vision, such as blurring, distortion, or things floating past the vision, they should inform their optometrist and ophthalmologist as soon as possible, and not wait for their next review.
0: So, Peter, there's one point that I'd like to pick up on: uh, is how people with diabetes can get a diabetic eye check.
1: Yes, so that's a great question. Um, Most people with diabetic, um, um, for for most people, um, diabetic retinopathy screening is done by an optometrist uh, and this can usually be bulk billed to Medicare without out-of-pocket charges and that's a really important point to inform your clients about because research indicates that one of the barriers to uptake of regular eye checks are concerns about cost. Um, I would stress, though, it's important for people with diabetes who are concerned about out-of-pocket costs to check with their optometrist before their eye check to make sure that they're um, going to be bulk billed. Um, Optometrists will usually continue monitoring people with diabetes um, until they develop the moderate stages of retinopathy, at which point they're referred to an ophthalmologist for further assessment and treatment if it's indicated. Now, some, some GPs do perform diabetic retinopathy screening, And a Medicare item number for screening by GPs and other non-eye care specialists who are involved in the primary glycemic management of a person with diabetes was introduced a few years ago. The minimum requirement for this is for retinal photography to be performed and for that photograph to then be interpreted. Um, In practice, the item number has not been used very extensively. And for the large part, diabetic retinopathy screening really remains the province of optometrists and ophthalmologists. I would say, though, that we are seeing some technological solutions emerging. Um, There are a number of artificial intelligence applications that have been developed to identify diabetic retinopathy from a retinal photograph. And the first one of these applications for the autonomous detection of diabetic retinopathy Uh, was actually approved for uh, use in the clinic uh, in the US um, by the FDA in um, late 2018. But we have seen that the uptake of the technology has been pretty slow in clinical practice, but I do think it's likely that it will be used more and more in the coming years.
0: Um, Obviously, vision loss must have a huge impact on diabetes self-management and other aspects of health. I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about that, please.
1: You're right, Jan, Um, vision loss is obviously a very big problem for people with diabetes because it makes the already challenging tasks of self-management all the more difficult. I guess more broadly, preventing vision loss is really important um, because vision is linked uh, with so many domains of health and quality of life. We know on average, for instance, that people with vision impairment are three times as likely to suffer from depression. They're twice as likely to fall. Um, and the risk of hip fractures um, is up to eight times higher uh, than in people without vision impairment. Um, And those with significant vision impairment are on average um, admitted to nursing homes about three years earlier than the rest of the population. So these are some of the broader health implications of vision loss, and if we can prevent vision loss, then uh, we can avoid a lot of that other morbidity. Um, I think the important point to stress is that um, people with diabetes have a 20 times higher lifetime risk of blindness than people without diabetes Uh, reassuringly blindness is still a fairly rare event but we really need to prioritise eye checks for all Australians with diabetes so we can absolutely minimise the number that go on to, to lose vision.
0: Thank you for that. Um, obviously, CDEs are well positioned to discuss eye health with clients at visit. And what are some of the questions that a CDE might ask in order to help prevent vision loss in the future?
1: Yeah, I think it's important to, um, at every appointment and every visit, to, to ask um, your clients about their eyes and their vision, uh, particularly if they've had Um, a diabetes eye check, which is not necessarily the same as a check for glasses. So that's an important point to inform all our clients is that when they go for an eye check, they need to let the optometrist know that they have diabetes and that they're there for a diabetes eye check. Uh, Otherwise, they might just um, have the test glasses uh, and miss the actual screening for retinopathy so some of the questions that you can ask your clients are you know if you've noticed any changes in the vision uh, any blurring of the vision or difficulty reading or driving um, any um, you know flashing lights or things floating past the vision and and just making sure and checking in when the last eye check was what the outcome was and when the next one is due And I think anyone who's noticing changes in their vision should go and see an optometrist, um, irrespective of when their last check was. So if they've had new symptoms, they should be encouraged to go and and see their optometrist. I think it's also um, timely to remind your clients that – most of the eye conditions that occur in diabetes are readily preventable or treatable if they're found at an early stage. I think it's important that we're not, um, you know, filling our clients with fear. Uh, we can actually empower them with, with quite a positive message that, that much of this is avoidable. I would say that, um, you know, I, I really encourage um, every CDE to engage with KeepSight uh, and sign um, their clients up to KeepSight. Um, There's also something to be said about clients who've lost vision already um, from diabetic retinopathy or from other causes that um, there are um, plenty of low vision services available and there's scope um, to connect your clients with those low vision support services to make sure that they they have the, the best tools available to them.
0: Thank you for that, Peter. Now you mentioned KeepSight and I know this is a program that you're particularly passionate about. So I wonder if you'd tell us a little bit more about it and how CDEs can be involved.
1: You're right, this is uh, an area of passion for me. So KeepSight's a national eye-check reminder system for all Australians with diabetes. Uh, It's funded by the Commonwealth Government and private sector partners, and it's led by Diabetes Australia and Vision 2020 Australia. Um, The program is designed to reduce the chance of people with diabetes falling between the cracks and forgetting to have their eye-checks at the recommended frequency. So people who've registered with KeepSight get a reminder when their next check is due um, and they can also access a simple tool to help find a, an opt- optometrist near them and, and even to make an appointment. We cross-reference the KeepSight database with the National Diabetes Services Scheme database, the NDSS database, and this will eventually allow us to identify who is engaged in regular eye checks and who's missing out. Uh, and that's really important because it allows us to send targeted messages to people on the NDSS registry who are missing out on iChecks and I think we're going to see the real power of KeepSight is when we reach a stage that we've got a large number of people signed up already so that we can then target those who are missing out. At the moment we've got just over 150,000 people um, with diabetes who are registered with KeepSight and the registrations are growing by around about 4,000 new registrations each week. I think um, getting to your question about how CDEs can be involved with KeepSight is a really important one. So diabetes educators are in a prime position to explain KeepSight to their clients and to actively ask them to register during consultations um either um, the person with diabetes can register themselves or you as a CBE, you can register your client um, and you can access uh, the Keepsite website uh, at the following address. So it's www.keepsite.org.au. Another thing that you can do if if you're particularly motivated and it would be tremendously helpful um, is that if you um, receive correspondence from optometrists or ophthalmologists, um, you can make sure that those um, results are recorded in KeepSight um, to make sure that your clients do get um, eye examination reminders that are really personalised to them.
0: That sounds great. Thanks, Peter. I was wondering if you could tell us a bit about the Diabetes and Eye Health e-learning module developed by Vision Initiative and the ADEA. What are some of the key messages within the module for people as learners?
1: Yeah, so I think this is a really exciting initiative. Um, It's something that we've um, developed really tailored to the specific needs of CDEs and also bearing in mind that everyone's very busy, so it it shouldn't take... um, your, your listeners too long to work through. It, it covers off a lot of the, um, the issues that we've um, touched on today. Um, it's designed specifically for CDEs. Um, it covers uh, various eye conditions that affect people living with diabetes. It covers um, how eye health can be maintained um, to prevent uh, or reduce the risk of vision loss. Um, it addresses the role of, of the CDE in eye health and, and includes some questions around eye health it addresses common terminology and provides a couple of case studies to help contextualise the learning points. So we've tried to make it um, interactive rather than um, didactic. There, is, um, some, um, there are some resource kits for um, people living with low vision, so some, um, some useful uh, web addresses and uh, organisations that you can refer people with vision loss to. Um, and there's, of course, a mention of KeepSight. I think our main objective is, is to empower um, CDEs to really have the confidence to start the conversation about eye health and to help their clients um, reduce the risk of vision loss.
0: So, Peter, before we end our discussion, I wonder if you could perhaps sum up some of the key messages you'd like to convey to our audience today.
1: So first and foremost, um, the, the key message is the vast majority of vision loss from diabetic retinopathy is preventable, if it's detected and treated early. The second point is that regular diabetes eye checks with an eye health professional are essential to prevent vision loss from diabetic retinopathy. And in most cases, those eye checks can be bulk billed under Medicare. So it's helpful to inform your clients about this and the need to check if their optometrist bulk bills in advance. The other point is that optimal glycemic blood pressure and lipid control can play a huge role in preventing or delaying the onset of diabetic retinopathy. Mm -hmm. Another point is that people with diabetes should be made aware of the need to report any changes in their vision to their eye care provider as soon as possible and not just wait for the next appointment. And finally, uh, addressing my question, core passion uh, of KeepSight, you know, that this is really a convenient and free reminder program that's available to all Australians with diabetes and so I'd encourage your clients to sign up uh, or even better, please register your clients directly via the KeepSight website.
0: Well, Peter, thank you once again for your time today and it's really been great to talk to you, so thank you.
1: Thanks very much for having me.
0: And thank you to listeners for taking the time to listen to this podcast. To obtain CBD credit for it, please go to the ADEA Learning Management System at learning.adea.com.au and complete a feedback evaluation. The diabetes and eye health module is also discussed, is also available on the on the LMS site. A quick note: eye health is certainly one of our important complications to be aware of in diabetes management. And there are, of course, others including neuropathy and heart disease and both of these are going to be addressed by speakers at the ADEA south australian branch seminar that is coming up in just a few weeks on saturday the 8th of may 2021 and there are also presentations on journey from nurse to nurse practitioner and a cgm overview and workshop session and as this, this is a hybrid event, you can, enjoy, you can join from anywhere. So head to events on the ADA website to view the full program and to register. So until next time, it's goodbye and thank you.